Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. Right. So as Keith said, today we are joined by Matt Ricci and his wife, Grace, and kids, Evie, Hazel, and Shiloh. Let's give them a big welcome. The Ricci's have been um, some of our missionary partners for quite a few years now. And as Keith said, they worked with an organization called Campus Target uh, in China uh, for quite a few years. And then when COVID happened and circumstances changed, they uh, rethought their plans for the future. And now they are planning on being missionaries in one of the most unreached parts of the world. So uh, Matt will share a little bit more about that. But uh, we're blessed to have him able to uh, to speak to us this morning. So thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. As uh, Pastor Ryan was mentioning, my wife Grace and I, we've been missionaries uh, to China for the last seven or eight years. If not over there, then recruiting people to go and reach out to college students on university campuses. And um, a lot has actually changed because of COVID, as you can imagine. When uh, just, just to explain it a little bit, because St. Paul's has, um, here we go. Just want to make sure I don't go over time. Because St. Paul's has like sent us out over the years, we just want to address it a little bit, bring you up to speed on why we made this change and what change we made. When COVID changed the planet, it also changed a lot of missions organizations. Specifically for those that were trying to, to go into China, it became very difficult to get through the borders. And the, the idea was, um, when we couldn't get back in, we, we had been living in China, we crossed the border about 24 hours before we heard of the virus in the province next to us. We never could get back to our home there. And while we were, we were waiting and waiting for the borders to reopen, what we did is we put our hand to recruiting. And the idea was, the borders are going to open up, and we're going to have dozens of these college kids that will go over to those university campuses and be able to share Christ. And that's what we did. But season after season came and went, you must be Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. <laughs> Put that together. Um, season after season came and went, and uh, we weren't able to send over any teams. And eventually our organization had to have the tough discussion about closing down. Because we want to be good stewards of our times. We only have one life, right? We want to put our hand to something that could bear fruit. And as the discussion was happening in our organization about possibly closing down, our wife and I were praying about our future. We wanted to know what God wanted us to do. And though we had friends that were stepping away from missions in that transition, we felt like God was actually calling us to re-engage in missions in a new way. Not just to recommit ourselves to cross-cultural ministry, but specifically to refine or refocus ourselves on the least reached people in the world. We want to go where people 
where other missionaries aren't going. We, we want to go where people haven't heard about Jesus. And as we're processing this and, and, and praying through it, talking to each other, talking to our pastors and leaders, we got an invitation to consider going to Morocco with a family that we served with in China. And we weren't automatically saying yes. We, we actually wanted to look at it critically. And as we started looking into Morocco, we found that it's actually the least reached place that we've ever considered going and serving as a family. To give you an idea, China is 7.5% evangelical. Now, my, my heart breaks for China, right? Like, I, I want that number to grow. I want, I want Jesus to be famous throughout the entire nation. But Morocco isn't 7.5% evangelical. They're not half of that. They're not 3.5%. They're not 2.5%. They're one-tenth of 1% evangelical. It's one of the least resourced places in the world for, for missionaries. And so when we started hearing these things, we're like, okay, we'll, we'll pray about it. And one of the things we did in the decision-making process is I actually went on a short-term trip there. Um, I, I, I'd love to meet after service and tell you about the whole journey that we took in this decision-making process. But I will tell you, we didn't make it flippantly, and it wasn't an easy one. But we now find ourselves about 115 days away from flying overseas. We honestly, everything's going to be different for us, right? In China, like, it's largely atheistic, the people that we reached out to. In, in Morocco, it's largely uh, Muslim. But we believe that God is going to do something there. And we can't wait to see house churches. We can't wait for communities to, to, to just turn to Jesus and families to find Christ. Um, I, I, I want to circle back to Morocco later. But I do want to tell you that while I was there, probably one of the most significant things that happened was this opportunity to share the gospel. It's one of the things that we went over to do. We want to see what life looked like there. We want to see what the cities were like there, what the schools were like. And we wanted to meet the people, share the gospel a little bit, see what, what happened. And so while we were there, we met this man, Abdel Moomin. We were lost. We asked him for directions. He spoke English incredibly well. And so we, we asked him. He helped us. We started going away. And we probably got about this far away from me to you, like this far away from him. And then we paused and we realized we're actually missing an opportunity to pray with this man. And I, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but we, we, we've, we've heard time and time again that in the Muslim context, God will, will use dreams sometimes or like answers to prayer, and it will be just very meaningful in those communities to, to break the gospel through. And this man, Abdul Mumin, that gave us directions was on a crutch as he was speaking to us. He had twisted his ankle playing soccer, and we realized he helped us get to where we're going. We're walking away, and we had learned about how God like, sometimes breaks into these communities. Maybe we should step out and see what happens. And so it, it was not easy. We don't do this often, but we went back to him, and we just asked if we could pray for him. And full disclosure, like, <laughs> I don't know where our faith was, uh, but we start praying for him, and as we're praying, Without being prompted, he lifts his crutch in the air and he points it to the sky. And then he starts doing, like, if you know that song, the cha-cha slide. Like, he, he literally just starts, like, walking around being like, my foot feels better. It feels better. And we're like, we're like, oh, your foot feels better. Yes! Like, like we were all sort of surprised. But it gave us an, an opportunity just to talk to him about faith. And, and even in that situation, we don't just start, like, telling him, like, he, he needs to turn to Christ. We, we start asking him questions about what he believes about God 
And that gave us an opportunity to share about Jesus. And that night he didn't become a believer. But he was willing to meet with us the next day to walk through the New Testament. And I didn't know if he'd show up. (laughs) I, I actually, I probably doubted that the most. I'm like, this guy's not coming. But the next day, there's this man walking to us with big sunglasses, huge grin, no crutch, walking up to us. And it's Abdul Moomin. And he comes, I'm like, okay, we're going to connect with him. Maybe we get 20 minutes to walk through a gospel. Let's see what happens. And we start sharing some of these passages of scripture with him. And the first one we shared, he's like, you know, the Quran actually has a story very similar to this. But can I have another story about Jesus that I haven't heard? And we're like, that is definitely a request that, the, yes. The answer is yes, absolutely. And so we start sharing. I, I believe we, we turn to the passage of scripture where uh, Jesus is, uh, someone's wiping his feet with her hair. And Jesus is claiming to forgive sin. And it's this wild thing. And he had never heard anything like that in his life. And he was speechless. Like, up to this point, I had only known him for a day. He was not a spe- speechless man. <laughs> he was speechless. He had never heard that before. Christ claiming to forgive sin. And his response was literally just very simply, can I hear another story? And we said, you may hear as many stories as you want to hear today. We went through another story. I think we went through, uh, I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's escaping my mind. But after the second story, he, he said, can I hear another one? And that, at that point, we go through like the prodigal son, the lost sheep, the lost coin. And every time he's, he's asking for another story, instead of having 20 minutes, we go through the Gospel of Luke for about two hours. And Abdul Moomin, as far as I know, he hasn't professed Christ yet. I've, I've kept in touch with him. I'm looking forward to reconnecting with him. But as we talked, there was times where at first he was like, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm doing all the right things. I'm pretty good with God. And then there was times where we actually started talking about God's standard and his holiness. And there was tears in that man's eyes. Where he realized he needed forgiveness. There's times where he felt like he, he shared with us, he had a level of uncertainty with where he stood with God. And then there was times where we got to share about the assurance you could have in Christ. And those conversations, honest, I, I'm looking at the Yukon squad over there. Those aren't conversations that happen just in Morocco. Those are conversations that can happen at Yukon with our coworkers, at the, the grocery store, with our family members. There are times where we meet people that they're doing pretty good. They think that they're good with God. It happens all the time. Like, I've had these conversations recently here in America. And, and there's, there's times where people, they're so broken, they're so aware, like, they're a mess. They couldn't imagine a scenario where they're good with God. And tears will fill their eyes. They have no hope. And there's times where people just have no certainty with where they stand with God. And I'm telling you that the gospel gives us assurance of the peace we can have with God through Christ. There's a passage of scripture that's been in my mind. I'd like to, to read, read it through with you. There. Oh, thank you. I know you helped me. I didn't do anything. Um, it's Romans 3. And my disclaimer is, I'm not going to get through all this today. I have embraced that. I'm not going to get through all of it. This is one of the most, like theologians throughout history have said, this is one of the most important passages of scriptures 
in the Bible. Someone has said, if, if the gospel is a door, the passage of scripture that we're looking at today is the hinge that the door swings on. This is huge. I got like 20, 25 minutes. I'm not going to get to it. But I want to just go line by line and highlight a few things that I think we need to remind ourselves of. Amen? So I'm just going to jump in. Not going to get to it all, but I'm going to highlight some things. I'll read it here. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And and right away, you can see, if we just look at that first phrase, there is a context here, and there's a contrast here. Paul is comparing and contrasting something. We don't usually start our words with but, unless we're contrasting something. If you have your Bible open or on your phone, whatever, if you scan your eyes up, you'll, you'll see part of the context of this passage of Scripture. Paul literally had just made a conclusion. He had been arguing about how right standing with God cannot happen, will not happen. No exception through works of the law, through our own effort, through our own striving. He says it this way. Right above it, in regards to the law, he says that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so he's contrasting something. He says, okay, we're looking at attempts to have right standing with God. We're looking at methods. We're brainstorming ideas of how we can have right standing with God. And the first idea that he covered was the law in works, in effort. And the conclusion that he just drew is, at the end of the day, no flesh will be justified in his sight. We're left speechless without a word to say, even on our own behalf and our own defense. But there's this second method. And to work from the back four, he says, this is for all who believe. This is for people who have faith in Christ. And this is the righteousness of God. And he's going to unpack it. And as he does, he actually says, he's not the first to bring this up. There's two others that have been pointing to this. The law and the prophets. And I, I, I don't want to like anyone to zone out here this morning, but that's actually really important that we know that throughout history, God has been pointing to Christ in this righteousness in Christ, found in Christ, through the law and the prophets. And the law does this in three ways. The first way it does it, is it's our tutor. This is very well known. Paul calls it a schoolmaster. The law just has this ability to expose our sin and show us our need for Christ. We literally, in this passage, we're just looking at the, the line above it said, through the law comes what? The knowledge of sin. Paul makes it more personal later. Paul himself said, I would not have known what sin was but by the law. I wouldn't have known what coveting was until that commandment said, Thou shalt not covet, and then sin took this opportunity and produced in me coveting of every kind. 
Throughout the New Testament, this is a theme, that the, the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ, but the way it does it is this. Someone has said it this way, and I'm going to rephrase it. The law doesn't help us. It leaves us helpless. And I just rephrase it by saying the law helps us by showing us that we're helpless, that we need a Savior, that we can't do it ourselves. And the second way that the law points us to Christ is it honestly, it like draws a line in the sand. Like a line in the sand, like it would be like here, where all of humanity is on one side, where the law is a tutor to us, showing us our helplessness, that we can't actually attain God's standard. On the other side of the line is Jesus. And the law actually shows us that he is utterly and completely and altogether different than mankind. Where the law shows us we can't keep the law, his relationship to the law is different. He has walked in the requirements of the law. And so it points to Christ is different. The last way I'd say that the law points to Christ is just we have millennia of God's people taking a perfect and spotless lamb and, and, and like slaying it for the, the forgiveness of sins through its blood, right? And that points to Christ. We, we know that because like John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he points and he said, Behold, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the law, the sacrificial system distinguishing Christ from the rest of humanity, the law points to Christ. And so do the prophets. And I think you guys are familiar with this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. We just celebrated Easter. Probably this month you heard people, or you read, you read this, where Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ is born, points to Christ. Hundreds, like, I remember being an unbeliever, not knowing how to respond when somebody shared this with me. Like hundreds of years before Jesus is born, Isaiah writes, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone away, uh, have, have gone their own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And so the law, the prophets, point to Christ. And Paul continues to unpack this righteousness of God. And this, there's ups and downs in this passage. There's good news, there's bad news, but this is altogether good news. Bear with me. Paul says, there is now no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And this is probably the most famous line, or one of the most famous lines that we're looking at today. Because there's no distinction. Whoa, whoa. I messed things up, Caleb. I need your help, sir. Thank you. Okay, there's no distinction. That... um, this is like part of the Romans road. That's what I was saying. All right, so this has been quoted time and time again. But just to narrow in on what he's talking about where there's no distinction, that's actually important. Because we, with our eyes, we see distinctions around us every day. Caleb knows what he's doing right now. I have no clue, right? I have no hair. Pastor Ryan is amazing, right? Like there's distinctions. But beyond that, like in the Bible, we don't get very far before there's distinctions. Cain and Abel, distinction. Saul and David, distinction. Wicked kings, faithful kings. True prophets, prophets of Baal. Foolish, wise, impulsive, 
discerning, greedy, generous, cowardly, courageous, promiscuous, pure. There are distinctions all over the place. But what this is talking about, he's not just saying strengths, weaknesses, or places that we struggle, places that we don't. He's not saying that. He's like, I want you to look through a specific lens. When it comes, the, the context is talking about attaining this right standing with God. When we look through that lens, Paul gathers, like I said, there's a line in the sand and humanity's on one side, Jesus is on the other. He gathers humanity into an arena. And he says, when it comes to sin, when it comes to perfection, when it comes to these issues, we are on equal footing. There's no distinction when it comes to that. We've all sinned. We fall short of God's glory, his perfection, his goodness, his standard. When it comes to our hope and ability and potential to reach that, we got nothing. And I said there's... Good news and bad news. That, that, that's like the heart, that's the punch to the gut, right? But here Paul actually gives us hope and gives us the good news. And you've seen this where I'm going to try using a button again, Caleb. Warning. Okay. We're, oh, I messed it up. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to stop. Okay. I, I'm, <laughs> there is distinction between them. Um, and so where was I? What on earth was I talking about? Oh, it's a gift. And we've heard that a million times in church, right? This gospel is a gift. But even in church, sometimes I think we don't process it correctly. We have two older girls. And they do chores. Sometimes we've probably got to do it more. And they earn money. And one of their favorite places on planet Earth is the dollar store. Dollar Gen, and it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter, like Dollar General, Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, whatever, Dollar Dollar Bills, they love it. And so if they have $7, it's like, oh, we just want to go down and spend every, like burn every last cent. And imagine a scenario where we're down at Family Dollar, and they find something that is plastic and amazing. And they just want it, and they each have it in their hands, and they're like, Dad, this is what I want. And it has a big $10 sign in the corner. If I were to turn to my kids and say, hey, you've been doing chores. You've been working hard. And honestly, you're almost there. It costs 10 You have 7 You worked hard. I'm going to cover the rest. My kids would be, you know, they, they would be happy, they'd love it, and they'd see that dad did, dad gave us a gift somehow. And sometimes I think that that's how we look at our Christian faith. We think, I'm going to work hard, and I'm almost going to get there. And that's going to win God over. And he's going to look at us and say, you did good, you worked hard, you're almost there. I'm going to cover the rest. That is not the gospel. We don't actually bring anything to the table. It's a gift by His grace. Instead of that picture of us almost making it, there's actually a different picture we could have, and it's in that word redemption. I looked into the, like, a few concordances about this, and every concordance was using the same word picture to describe it, and they said, you know, this word would be used if you purchased a slave and set it free. 
And so the word picture we should approach this isn't we work hard, God covers the rest, and we somehow won him over because we're just so close. That's not the picture. The picture is we're in bondage, and God shows up and says, I'm going to buy you, and I'm going to set you free. It's not what we do. It's what he's done. There's an older song, not super old, by Casting Crowns that says, Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. The gospel is not about what we bring to the table. It's about what Jesus brings to the table. Um, This last part, I'm going to move. I'm going to move, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, this last part, but it's very meaningful to us. It says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Thank you, Caleb. Um... Talking about Jesus. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This this actually gets a lot of hate. Because it has the word propitiation in it. And propitiation is talking about appeasing anger. Through a sacrifice. It's talking about Jesus. People do not, at least here, People do not like thinking about God and angry in the same sentence. Right? It's just not something. Like we have probably the, one of the fastest growing churches in our area in Rochester like rejects the propitiation altogether. They, they, they're like, we don't like thinking about God being angry. And it's, it's something that they say is just not true. But this, this is actually part of the gospel. Paul is saying there's a propitiation in Jesus' blood. Earlier we talked about how the prophets were, were pointing to Jesus, saying he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has caused the iniquities of us all to rest upon him. There's a propitiation. And I, I, I want to pause and highlight that word because it's really important. And hear me out, and I'm almost done. This passage of scripture says that this demonstrates God's righteousness. And if you were to ask yourself, how can you prove God's righteousness? The answer is in the propitiation. If there is no propitiation, you are left with a few options. The first is that God compromises his holiness or his standard, or his goodness. Maybe he's okay with a little wickedness. Maybe he's okay with a little murder. Maybe he's okay with a little hate. Maybe, you know, he just compromises. That's one of the options, if there's no propitiation. He just compromises himself. Another option is, it's very actually, it's the same thing. He just turns a blind eye and ignores it. But when we see that there's a propitiation, there's no blind eye towards sin. He actually, the, the, the Bible talks about, and I know this is heavy, and I know, like, I'm talking about sin. Like, this isn't what everyone wants to hear. You know, it's not your live your best life now. But listen to me. Like, like, uh, but I'm being serious. Like, when we look at this, we say, like, okay, God was actually keeping the receipts throughout history. Like, God was keeping the receipts of my sin, of Matt Ritchie's sin. He wasn't turning a blind eye. And this passage says we can actually say God is righteous because there's a level of integrity there. That he dealt with sin as sin needed to be dealt with. It wasn't on us. 
There was a propitiation, but he dealt with sin as sin needed to be dealt with. And that is actually good news because Paul says that he's just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And guys, this changes the world. And this is actually what I wanted to talk about. We see that God is just on the cross because my sin and the sin of Matt Ritchie has fallen on the shoulders of Christ. God is dealing with sin as it needs to be dealt with and he's just. But it doesn't stop there. He's the justifier. That changes the world. When I'm, when I'm with Abdul Mumin or other Muslims around the world and they talk about how God is just, you can have awkward conversations. Be like, well, so how does that work when there's wickedness and we, we've all sinned? And, and there's like, well, you know, like we can have some awkward conversations where at the end of the day, God is turning a blind eye to sin. That's not the gospel. The gospel is there's receipts, there was propitiation, and now God is just and he's the justifier. He has made us right. I'll say it this way. God was well aware that there was a problem. God was well aware with how to deal with the problem. And God has dealt with the problem in its entirety. If God was just just, we would have no hope because no flesh will be justified in his sight. But he's the justifier and that actually gives us hope. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul says it this way. In, in Romans 8, where, when we get through all the arguments for the gospel, and Paul is just describing what we have, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? And it's a rhetorical question. He sort of says, do you think it's God? He answers and he says, God is the one who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Do you think it's Christ? Christ is the one that died for you. This is God's solution. He figured it out. He knew how to deal with it. He's not just just. He's not only just. He's also the justifier. And we can have right standing with God through his grace. And why this matters. This matters to us because we have to reorient our lives in a, in a few ways. We string together some good days and we think, oh, I'm, a, I, like, I'm here because I'm awesome sauce. Right? Like, we, we have right standing with God because we're so great. That's not true. That's delusion. At the same time, we string together some bad days. And we think, because of our, our like, tanking and, and the, the, like, the, the bad state that we're in, we can't have right standing with God. That's actually not true either. God has dealt with a problem. We have right standing with God because he's not just just. He's not only just. He's the justifier. And I say that this actually also matters for the world out there, for our coworkers, for our family members, for people at UConn. Because the fact is, we serve a God that is just. And we can have conversations with people every day to see if they also want to know him as the justifier. It's one or the other. If I rejected God, I would know him as just, just. I rejected Christ. But because of the cross, I can know him as justifier. I can have right standing with God because of what he's done. Am I making any sense this morning? I hope so. Um, to, to bring it back to Morocco for a moment, this is also why we're going. 
This is the news that changes the world. Like, this life is, is like flying by. I'm almost 40 years old. That, that's incredible. Like, this life is going by. And I know that there's people in this room that honestly you are like, how am I this old? Like, this, this just happens. We got one chance at this. And the fact is, there's 8 billion people in the world, and not all people are reconciled to their creator. And that's what we want to do is we want to bring this message. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. We want to bring this news to people so that they can have reconciliation with God. I don't know how to go through the slides. So can I just ask you to do it? All right. So we're going to Morocco. Just try it. Okay. 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 Just quick. Boop. All right. So we're, we're going to Morocco through something called the Gateway Project. Has anyone heard of YWAM? So about 10, 20 years ago or something, they identified what they call 100 gateway cities. I'm going to try to boop. Okay, those are the 100 gateway cities. The idea is, if you reach these cities, they are the most strategic, least reached cities in the world. If you reach them, you reach the remaining people in the world that don't have access to the gospel. If you look in the northwest region, I want to use the laser so bad, but I don't want to mess it up. So, the northwest corner of Africa, Morocco has one of these cities. The Gateway Project has asked us to go through them and, and reach this region. And we're 115 days away. The next two pictures are horrible and fuzzier. I know that, but we're doing it anyway. All right. So, <laughs> oh, man, this is worse than I thought. Okay. So, if you look in the top right-hand corner, you'll basically you'll see a chart with, there's a lever all the way down. It's in the red. It's horrible situation. And that's because out of the 31 people groups, 27 are unreached. Out of the 37 million people, we're talking about one-tenth of one percent evangelical. It's just a bad situation altogether. This next picture is just going to be hysterical how fuzzy it is. Yes, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. You can't see anything. But what I was hoping that you'd see is... In the, over here, there's a corner where there's red, fuzzy stars. Yes, thank you. There's only, there's only about like 8,000 people in the country that don't have a red star above them. And like, those red stars are all the frontier people groups. These are all the people groups in Morocco right now. 27 out of 31 are in reach. 23 of those 27 are frontier, which is like beyond unreached. Like, unreached, you're talking about 2% or less are evangelical. Frontier is like, there's nothing happening here. Tenths of a percent or nothing. And so that's Morocco, and that's why we're going. And we'd love for you guys to pray for us as, as we're heading out. This is new. When we went to China, we joined an organization that had been there for, for a long time. This is like, there's a few families pioneering something in a region of the world that needs it. And we would love your prayer, because it's all new to us. Uh, that's actually a picture of Abdel Moomin right there in the middle in the white shirt. Um, and I just I want to say two things. If you'd like our email updates, there's sign-up sheets in the back next to the Yukon Squad where you can just put your name and email address. We'll, we'll send you our emails. What, what we have to do actually because it's an encrypted program is send you a link and you click on it and you sign up. It, it, they've changed the way they do it. And so if you want our email updates, you can either sign up there or just shoot me an email address. This is like a personal email address we're just using in the States for another 115 days, and then it's dead to us. And so you could just send us an email saying, hey, I'd love your, your emails. Um, 
to give you an idea of what they look like. If you're on a laptop or a phone, it looks different. But if you got our updates, there's a picture of the family there. And then you would see it's... I used to send these, like, super long emails. They were so hard to do, and they were so hard to keep doing it. They'd take me hours. And, and I was just struggling to communicate with people while on the field. This program is encrypted, and it's easier. It's more like a Pinterest. You take a picture, you write a blurb, and you go. And all the, you could just, if something interests you, you click on it. There's, like, I'll put a link of a YouTube video, you click on it, you, whatever. But this is what it looks like. This last part is going to be more direct, and just please hear me out. Forgive me if it comes across the wrong way. We have 115 days to finish raising our support. We're about 60% there. We know God's going to do this. He loves those people more than we do. We only love them because of God in us. We're raising support. We're almost there. Like, that's about 30 people, and we're done. We're 100%. And that funding actually allows us to do things like study Arabic and, like, have plane tickets and visas. It's actually really important. And so God, we know what's going to do it, but if there's anyone here that wants to be involved... And that's, that's, this isn't for everybody. Don't give under compulsion. That's not what we're doing. But if there's anyone that wants to be involved, we would love to talk to you. And, and I mean that with all sincerity. There was a time before we went to China. Remember Brian? He came to our house, and he asked us to support him for $100 a month. And I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, and I didn't say this out loud. But my thought was, I'm not going, and I know I'm not going to pray. <laughs> like, just to be honest, I'm like, I know, like, I might pray for a day or two, but come on, Matt, you're not praying for China every day, like, from here on out. That's just not who I was. That's not where I was going. But the only way, and I thought this, I was like, the only way I can participate with what's happening in China is if I'm on his monthly support team. And so for us, it was actually an invitation to get involved with something that we wouldn't be involved with. If you see it the same way, we'd love to talk to you. You're not going to find us on Elam's page because we work in closed countries. But that link, www.givetotheriches.com, you'll find us there. And if you see it the same way, it is an invitation. 85% of missionaries go to the reached world. And this is an opportunity to do something special, reaching frontier peoples. Amen? I, I hope that comes across the wrong way. Or the right way, not the wrong way. Um, but I'd like to just pray real quick before I hand it over. Am I handing it over to you, Pastor Keith? After? Worship team, okay. Father, as we think about just the, your gospel, I, I know that we looked at a familiar passage of scripture today, and I know everything we talked about was so familiar. But as C.S. Lewis said, sometimes we don't need to be taught, we need to be reminded. You have made a way where there is no way. You, God, we rejoice that you are righteous, you are holy, and you're not just just. You're the justifier. And because of that, we can have hope. Father, I ask that if there's anyone here that is, is struggling with trying to find you in their own effort, that, that, Father, you would touch their hearts and their minds and that they'd realize there's a grace to have right standing with you. And that is the only way. 
Father, I pray that if there are people here feeling condemned because of like, things that are going on in their life and they're doing the things that they ought not and they're not doing the things that they ought, Father, I pray that that same grace would touch them and encourage their hearts and that they'd know they have right standing with God. Jesus, you became sin that we'd become the righteousness of God. We remind ourselves of that. We remind ourselves who will bring a charge against God's elect. God, you're the one that justifies. We have peace with you. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. God, we pray that you'd help us be a light to this this area, to Willington, to Yukon, to our family members, to Connecticut. God, I pray that we that we wouldn't always talk about think that things are heavy, but really we Father, we'd be salt and light and that we'd offer hope to a world that needs it. God, use us. And we pray that you'd be famous in this region. We pray that you'd be glorified. God, I pray that this week you would bless the people here. I pray, Father, that that you would draw us all closer to you, that we'd know you more, that we'd, we'd love your scripture more. And, Father, that, that you'd have our devotion, that you'd have our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.